Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Agents podcast, the real estate podcast that brings you short business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with some of our industry's leading minds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, what's going on, Next Level Agents? How are you doing today? I, uh, as you, well, some of you may know, I'm Kevin Kaufman. Uh, this is my business partner, Fred Weaver. It's Steve Valentine. Steve, say hi. What's up, guys? How are you? Next Level Agents. Thanks for having me hey. on, Kevin and Fred. Absolutely, man. Stoked to have you here. So, um, Steve is a longtime friend of mine and Fred, who we've known here uh, in the Phoenix area for uh, pretty much the entire time we've worked together. We, we met Steve just about the same month we started working together. And... Um, we just thought we'd get together today and chat a little bit. Steve's got a, a unique background uh, and experience in real estate and a, a unique business model. Uh, he's done it all. Steve, you've been in real estate since, what, you were five or six years old, and you're 83 now? Is that right? Right. I mean, you, you look really good for 83, by the way. Don't look a day over 70. Um, and so we thought it'd be kind of cool just to come on and see if we could have share some of his wisdom and kind of maybe Steve, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your business model and how it's evolved over the years and, and things like that. So um, I thought we would just see this, uh, see how it goes today and have some fun with it. If you guys are okay with it. Can we circle back around to your very first transaction? That wasn't my very first transaction. It was my first one with you. <laughs> you let me down on that one. You mean the one that didn't close the day of closing? Yes. That when one. I made no. Fred and I made $250 that month. You think I didn't want that one to close? <laughs> Worst day of my real estate career, man. Man, that was rough. So, so, it was, anyways. It was, so let's just paint the picture real quick because that was a time that we were all struggling trying to figure out, you know, at least from, from my standpoint. So you look at my background up to there was, you know, I got my license in 99. Uh, my parents had been in the business for 40 years and uh, we, we had the big team. We had all the stuff and then, like most people, we had this big problem in 2006 and lost everything. So then it was, you know, trying to do anything and everything and pretending to be somebody, <laughs> even if you weren't at the time. And uh, right. I took that short sale, and I always remember the street. It was on Burning Tree in Moon Valley. and uh, I'll never forget it. I took that listing as a short sale. They had moved to, like, Minnesota or something, and it was just a sign in the yard. And I'll tell you what, that sign produce like three or four buyers and that's the best thing it was i mean even though you didn't close on it so when i met kevin and fred he's like yeah we, we negotiate short sales for a living we're badass we're like all these things and so i'm like well i don't know what i'm doing here you guys do it and then i'll get paid anyway so i figured they had some skin in the game to get it done and then their buyer backed out the day of closing and i think it went to foreclosure anyway it did and that was terrible and I, if I remember correctly, I called you and I left you a voicemail because my buyers, my clients, my quasi-clients, didn't have a buyer broker signed with them, by the way, um, they they wanted that house. And so I called you and I left a message and I asked a ton of questions like, hey, I noticed it's a short sale. Is the BPO been done? Who are the banks? Blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget. You call me back. You're like, clearly, you know more about short sales than I do. So let's see how we can work together. And here we are over a decade later, still somehow friends and selling real estate still so right still clearly that was a terrible decision that made you no money though on that transaction so maybe your judgment isn't so good steve (laughs) (laughs) but we should probably head a different direction so uh so steve you know one of the unique 
reasons that I, I wanted to kind of be a part of this interview is I admire a lot of what you do, not just on the residential retail side of things with your business, uh, but also how you over the years really brought a unique investment approach into your business. And I think in this day and age that we're in right now with high buyers and, you know, disruption going on in our industry, I think real estate agents are grasping for what can differentiate me from the rest of the pack? What can, you know, what can help me stand out? How do I make more money? How do I make sure that sellers see my true value proposition? So uh, I know that's a lot of different things there, but I'd, I'd love for you to maybe share kind of like, how, how'd you get into the investment side of things? You got your license in 99. You were like the rest of us starving, broke in over your head in debt in 2007, eight, nine. Um, kind of maybe like bring us up to speed on the last 10 years and kind of uh, through those 10 years, share with us like where the investment piece became a, a big part of your business as well. Sure. You know, it's, it's an interesting time right now as the market seems to be doing a little bit of a, uh, you know, slowdown and, People are starting to have some 10-year PTSD right now, and uh, there's a lot of chicken little, the sky is getting ready to fall, and everybody's wondering, like, oh, my God, when's the next shoe going to drop? So when yeah. I started down the investment road, we look at the niches. So you guys look at, you guys have done some of the same evolution that I have, where you've gone through niches. You went through the short sale niche. I went through the REO niche. It brought me to where I was. It got us to where we are. You guys built teams. You know, I started to draft into doing a team and kind of shifted into more of a business type where my agents are actually salaried plus bonus. And we have those different operational pieces, which gave me more control over the business. And I kind of like that. And it gives us uh, gives me a lot more freedom to do my speaking and some of the other stuff that we're doing right now. But the investment side really came into, um, you know, my dad got sick four years ago. He passed and he owned a brokerage. And. My dad spent 2009 to 2012, my dad spent $30 million of trustee sale for investors, um, bought more than 650 homes for investors, um, managed majority of those homes, rented them, renovated them, flipped them, all these pieces, right? So when my dad got sick and diagnosed terminal cancer, it was nine months from diagnosis to death. And in that time frame. I had to help him make some decisions and help my mom make some decisions on the business. We're all um, impacted by the people around us and some of the decisions and things. And we see great ideas that if they were just tweaked just a little, it might make more sense. And so as I started getting into my dad's business and talking to his investors and working through things, I saw some things that made sense. But I also saw some things that I didn't understand. And this is probably my biggest aha moment with my dad was we do this as agents and we chase commissions all the time, right? Yeah, that's, that's what we get into this business, to sell, make a commission, yeah. you know, represent a buyer, represent a seller. But what we don't do, and this is where my aha came in from my dad, we don't take the time to represent ourselves. We don't take the time to look at how to build our own wealth and build our own investment opportunities in a business that we already know and love that we have opportunities pop in front of us every day, but we're so concerned on the commission that we're going to make and the income that we forget the other pieces to this because most of us are just trained to buy and sell. So my dad ended up passing, going through the, um, I know you guys feel the same way that, uh, if we had spent a little bit more time and focus on those cheap houses 
<laughs> during the REO days, you know, back when we could buy a twenty thousand dollar home with just four the roof. None of us would be doing interviews right now. We'd be sitting somewhere on a beach because we bought enough homes. But we were all focused, chicken little, sky is falling, right? We weren't looking looking at opportunities. So now you go through it and you go, okay, my dad spends thirty million dollars trustee sale. Back then you could buy a house for fifty grand at eighteen percent interest on a credit card and cash flow. The house would be worth two hundred grand today. And that's what's nuts about it. So you look at that and we kind of giggle about it. When I when my dad passed, I looked around and I said, I can't do this anymore from the standpoint of making sure that my family's secure and making sure that other agents understand the opportunities that are in front of them and that they would stop chasing commission dollars and start looking at the opportunities that are right in front of them. Yeah, I love you said that. If you don't mind if I interject for a second. Um, I, you know, learning lesson here that really has nothing to do with investments, but I think one of the things that I've seen myself be guilty of and had to slow down on, and I've seen other people do it is that, you know, maybe we do close a lot of real estate, but we're always still concerned about that next check or that next month because we haven't put enough money to the side. We literally have increased our expenses so much that we're, we're constantly just increasing our expenses in proportion to our increased income, right? So it's this idea of like, the habits that we developed as a new real estate agent where we were wondering where the next check was coming from are still following some of us four, five, ten years later. When we have consistent business, we're not necessarily wondering where the next deal is coming from. We just need the next deal to still pay our bills because we increased our expenses so much. Right. So I, I just I love that whole idea. And I, I know obviously for you that goes in a lot of different directions, but I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm hopeful that some newer real estate agent here will learn from us goofballs and, and not make some of those same mistakes going forward. Well, you, you also look at the piece of business where most agents are spending more time complaining about the iBuyer and what's happening and the wholesalers. And I mean, let's put it this way. The iBuyer's been around for 20 years. It was just ugly. And it came in the form of we buy ugly homes. And people just didn't get it then. And they weren't doing as much and they didn't make it as easy as the technology piece it is. So now it's a lot sleeker. It's a lot sexier. It's a lot more convenient. And that's some of the stuff that I started to realize is that was happening is how do you stop complaining about it and start competing with them? And, and here's what happens when you compete with them. A real estate agent is only going to be relevant based on the relationship with the people that they know and that's going to keep a lot of people away from the iBuyers and those pieces and the wholesalers because they have a relationship and they're looking forward to that continued relationship. I've noticed some agents, they get frustrated when their, their seller calls and goes, yeah, we, we sold our house to, to Zillow or OfferPad you know, two years ago or a year ago. And you're like, well, why didn't you call me? Well, we hadn't heard from you in two years, so why would we? You know, They made it easy. We didn't have to go through the process. So... So now you look at how do I compete? So when we started going through it, I started looking at, number one, how do I raise capital? And how do I start providing easy solutions for my own clients and people that I meet? You know, How do I take advantage of the people that are wholesaling homes and figuring out how to make a bigger impact in our community by raising values, producing a nice property? Um, and that's really where we went to. So we started what we call our wealth building program where we 
started originally partnering with investors to buy homes. So we would partner with them, they would buy it, and it'd be in their name, they'd pay for all the repairs, and my wife and I, Wendy would renovate with her contractors, and then we would sell it, and we'd split the profit. And so 2016, I think we did, like, I don't know, between 15 and 16 was about 47 homes, that's where we get our feet wet. And we were being extremely profitable in that model. And then we started seeing the more people we talked to is that, hey, maybe they don't want to risk as much because we had some homes that took losses and things like that. And we started turning our investors and our clients into our bank. So that's what we got private funds for. So if you fast forward to today, you know, mid 2018, um, we've renovated 450 homes um, that we purchased and acquired off market that we provided a cool solution for the seller and we repurpose those homes and that's what we call it and then we've put those back out to market increasing value but also making an impact in our own community and that's one of the big differences that we have in our program is that when our investors invest funds with us and people are are selling their homes to us they're seeing the impact that we're actually making in the communities that they live and the impact that it's having on our local economy versus somebody selling to a Zillow, an offer pattern, open door. And you have to keep in mind, I think, you know, Kevin, what was the last stat we talked about at lunch was like 10 to 12% is what the, the iBuyer has in the MLS market right now. It's, so, uh, it's, it's, a, it's approaching that number. Yeah. Somewhere, okay. somewhere right around there. I don't remember the exact number, but certainly approaching it. So one of the things I started to see was if you look at the FAQ on any of their websites, they have a box that they have to stay in. There's a specific box that they can go out of. So, you know, if, if I buy a house from uh, an elderly lady that needs six to eight months to move out because she's waiting for assisted living, I can do that, but they can't. So you start looking at the different solutions you can provide your client when it comes down to those pieces. And this is where you start to compete with those people and you start providing solutions for your clients as well. Okay, so just to put, put a, I guess, package that together, say it through my lens, like, so what you're saying is, like, in the Phoenix area, the open doors, the offer pads, the Zillows, and, and those type of iBuyers are potentially now buying up to 10 or 12% of all the properties in the market. Correct. But um, they're playing in a box where they're probably buying more like 20 or percent in, in, in their box, so to speak. But there's all these homes that don't fit in their box where you're you're finding opportunity, right? You're right. you're not necessarily even having to compete with them. You're you're creating your own opportunity outside of that. So, Steve, Kevin, feel free to interject if you have a different way you want to ask this question or a different direction you want to go. But the question I'd be curious is like, there's people right now that are tuning in, people that'll watch this later who they're not necessarily familiar with this idea of like, how do I be a real estate professional? who goes into somebody's kitchen and sits down with them at the kitchen table and presents the option of selling their home traditionally with 6% commission and all that. How do I also, though, talk about maybe these other options I have? Like you're mentioning wholesaling or you would buy the property or we may have another buyer for you. So, like, how, like I guess if you don't mind, slow us down a little bit and walk through the process of somebody calls you or you're prospecting for somebody that needs to sell their house. You set a listing appointment. Um, what are you doing either in your dialogue before you show up at the house and additionally at the house? How are you presenting all these options? Because to me, being a guy who's just done a lot of traditional real estate, not done a lot of the investor stuff, I struggle a little bit with, with knowing how you present these options and what those dialogues look like and, 
and how people don't get confused. Like, what do you mean, Steve? You can buy it or you can sell it. Like, so I know this comes very second. You know, this is very natural to you, but maybe you can share that with for those of us that it's not natural to walk us through that process. Well, I think if you go back and you would look at, you know, maybe Group 4610, I know you guys have a great script program and you guys practice scripts and you go through that, right? And it's more about, you know, talking to the seller and looking through different things and looking through the traditional process of what they're doing. And I don't know your scripts, obviously, inside and out, but my script's pretty simple and the questions that I ask is really, rather than starting with, hey, what do you think your house is worth? Because I think sometimes we try to catch our clients, like, Let's see where they're, let's really gauge them where they think it is because they've already been on Zillow. They've already done some things versus I look at things from the standpoint of, hey, you're going to sell your house and you're moving wherever. What did you think you could potentially net out of this house that would make that move simple for you? So I try to work it backwards. So your leading question is trying to find out what people are trying to walk away with when after they sell it. Yeah. That's sort of your lead. Okay. All right. That's, that's a lead question for me. If you could sell your house today and walk away with X amount, would that suffice? Would that cause you to move? And then you kind of go into some of the other pain points. Is there anything that, you know, you need to sell it quickly? Is there any financial need? Is there, what, what do those pieces look like? Because I'm always there to provide the client the, and, and our logo says, says handcrafted real estate solutions. I want to handcraft and hand tailor the perfect solution for that client because we all know that our clients don't fit in a box. Not every seller, you know, is the same. Not every listing is the same. Not every house is the same. So you kind of got to look at those things. And I'll, I'll give you an example of people knowing. And, and actually, this would be the best example. I think last year we bought... 15 homes from our past clients. So these are people that already know us, trust us, love us. And we go into their home and we talk about one particular couple. They needed to, they were looking for a very specific property to buy, which was going to be very hard doing the contingency sale and going through, you know, contingent buying a certain property because finding that certain property was going to be tough. It was an acre property, had to have a shop. There were certain requirements. So we sat down and I ran the numbers backwards with them. They had a lot of equity in the house. I said, hey, what if we did this? If you could net $100,000 out of your home, no commissions, no nothing, and stay here for 90 days after we close on it to move into your new home, would that number suffice? Even though... You know, in, at that time, I think we bought the home for 220. The estimated value was about 300 fixed up. They had to do some repairs. You know, there was probably 20 grand worth of repairs need to be done. You factor in mortgage payments, all these other things, and you'd be amazed at the price tag people will put on stress. And, okay, so they had two kids. It was, I think, it was October at the time. We put a contract on their house. We paid two twenty for it. We went out and sold them a $490,000 home. They had 90 days. So over the holidays, they, they took their Hawaiian vacation. They did Christmas. They moved slowly. We got the house. I think we put twenty five grand into it. We sold it for two eighty seven five. And I think between the investor and I, um, I would have made probably seven grand more than what I would have if I would have sold that house on the open market after 
going through all the steps with them. So, you know, they probably left 20 grand on the table, but that was repairs, stress, and everything else. And they had enough equity and goes, well, that was easy. You know, it's the easy button. And that's, that's really where it ties into those pieces. You know, we had another one where we recently had a client call. It's like, hey, my parents have not been in their house, believe this or not, in 16 years. Nobody's opened the front door. Okay, so that's insane. You think about the market, what it's done in 16 years. The ups, the downs, the ebb, the flows, nobody's been there in 16 years. And so they simply called and said, look, we know it's worth more. We know all these pieces. Will you just write me a check? They wanted to be done with it. They wanted to check for a certain amount. And they, they knew. We walked through the numbers and they knew. But it was also a hoarder house. Like it was floor to ceiling in disgust when it came down that, to it. That sounds beautiful. That sounds like the, like the exact uh, type of home you want to be buying though, right? Oh, yeah. You should see the video. It's awesome. Um, those are the things though that we as clients, as real estate agents, we go to those properties and we look at it and go, what am I supposed to do with this? And you're immediately trying to think about the buyers, putting it on the market, cleaning it up. You're going through all these pieces rather than going, what does my seller need out of this? And either can I buy it or do I know somebody that can buy it? And that's one of those homes. So you talk about, I mentioned wholesaling. For those of you that don't know what wholesaling is, it's when you tie up a property and for a certain price. So let's say you buy a house for $100,000 and let's say it's worth 150, no commissions, no closing costs, no nothing. And your seller or your somebody you know is gonna sell you that for $100,000 and you go find an investor and sell it to them for 110. So you're making a $10,000 commission on it rather than a $3,000 commission selling a $100,000 home. That's that's what the wholesale piece comes down to. So. So, Steve, I know you've got, like, just because we've been friends for so long and, and, and we get together fairly often, um, like, I know you've got example after example after example of, of this. Like, so do me, like, do us a favor because this Facebook group is all about helping each other get better and kind of raise our business standards and, and, and make more money, quite frankly, and have a, have a better business, be a better service to the communities that we're in. What are some things that an agent watching this video could take away today like what are the things if you like if i said hey steve listen man i want to do what you do or at least i want to start down that path i know it's a long ways i'm not going to get there overnight but like what are the things i can start doing now in the next 30 days that will help me be closer to where you are at some point in the next couple of years i think first you start looking at you know anything that has to do with distress i mean you want to practice on things look through the mls and okay. look through the things that are fix-up opportunities. What's there? Um, you know, that's that's a great place to start. I think you can also have an immediate conversation with, and here's probably the thing I would say instantly is, if you want to do some investments and you want to figure it out, I think we could all call five clients that if they knew how to invest, they would invest in real estate if you can coach them down that road. And that's one of the things that we've done is we've learned how to invest by, hey, this is a good rental property. These are the numbers. This is what it looks like. This is what the financing. So you may want to get with your lender and talk about what does the rental piece look like. Make sure you know your market in the rental side. That's, that's a great way to start with trying to look at the investment piece. 
The other thing is maybe maybe flip your script a little bit from the standpoint of, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what did you think you were going to net by selling your home? Don't think about commissions or anything. Ask them what they owe on it and then work the numbers backwards because here's the other piece. You may avoid that higher listing price because you know what they want to net and you can add things up backwards from what they owe, what they want to net and tacking on a commission and coming up with a listing price that's going to give them a quicker sale rather than the, oh, you think your house is worth 375 and you think it's worth 350 and trying to work that process. That's a really great way to kind of bring the seller back into reality rather than giving them the opportunity to rein in on what they think the value is. Okay. Because I think that that helps them figure out what direction they want to go. Because most sellers have an idea of what they want out of the house. And I think that right. the, the next step as far as being, having an opportunity mindset. So I call it the limitless mindset, right? I think that agents can start right now also by having some of the relationships that I have. So like anybody that's in Phoenix on this call, if you're not ready to invest, you don't have the money to purchase, you don't have the wherewithal, you should have relationships with people like myself or people in your markets that you can have a relationship with that you can call on and say, look, I just got to this house, it's in terrible condition, Will you come over and make me an, uh, an offer for my seller and show me how that's done? And I do that with a ton of agents. I work with them because it gives them one step more than the last person that just came in with a listing. You know, because you, what happens is we get into our listing pitch, right? And that's the only option is to put the house on the market. Okay? There's, there's nothing else that they want to put the house on the market, they want to move. What we don't give them is other options of, hey, what if we didn't have to put this on the market and I could bring an investor in that could buy the house, give you time to move, and they'll take care of all this nonsense. You don't have to do anything. The agent still gets paid. The agent looks like a hero because now the seller doesn't have to go through you know, all the pieces from putting it on the market, taking care of their four dogs, putting their kids away. Like All the stresses, like I said, there's a price tag to stress. And if you have those people that you can call on, it's a great option because you're giving the seller a what if scenario and it makes them think about it. So we can say, hey, here's the option. And now the agent doesn't feel, some agents feel like they would be the bad guy if they're going to try to buy the house, the listing appointment. So until you perfect that, you really don't want to go down that road yet. Okay. So um, go ahead, Frank. I would say the, the key that I'm hearing here is like whether or not I want to be an agent that buys properties or wholesales or whatever else. The key that I'm hearing, and it's one thing, Kevin, that I know you and I have become strong believers in probably in the last six or 12 months is that it's important for us as agents to not be a one-stop shop. That, you know, we used to just go into appointments and talk about how much I can get you for your house. And of course, the route was MLS and all that. But in this day and age, there are companies, iBuyers, as an example, which you mentioned earlier, open doors, offer pads, and Zillows. There's wholesalers and investment companies like We Buy Ugly Houses and lots of other local companies and regional companies that are advertising to people. So if we can come as a real estate professional from a place of, I can connect you to any and all of these resources. I'm not just coming to you today, Mr. Right. and Mrs. Seller, to talk about why you should put your home on the market for this amount and why you should use me to listen to the MLS, but... 
very often to understand your situation more, find out what you want out of the house, and then consult with you on what your best option is. So whether I'm the guy that could buy that house or I could connect you with a Steve Valentine or whether or not I'm the guy that uh, could just help you review the open door or the Zillow or the offer pad offer you got and, and maybe facilitate the transaction for you. Maybe you sell it to them, but I just facilitate it for you for a fee. Or, or maybe I, I introduce you to somebody that, you know, could wholesale the problem. The, the point is that, um, you know, if I'm sitting here watching this right now, I hope the aha you're having is that I should probably be widening my offer range when I go into listing appointments. I should not just be the guy whose only option is to put it on the LMLS, but rather I'm the connector. I can connect you to the Steve Valentine. I can connect you to the, to the, uh, you know, to the iBuyer. I can put it on the MLS. I can connect you to my list of private investors. I have options. So, uh, you know, that's how I think we continue to build value as agents and be the guys that have the options. Let us be the guys that people come to for the options, right? Be the, you know, who, I think it was our, our friend Kenny Klaus recently who, I don't know what the exact language was, but he's trying to kind of market himself as, let me be the, the price line or the, uh, what's one of those other travelocities or let me be that for the real estate industry. Just come to me first. I'll figure out what your needs and wants are and I'll connect you with one of these people if, if listing your home on the MLS isn't the best route. And I think that mindset is incredibly important as we're trying to differentiate ourselves in this challenging, disruptive industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go one step further with that. Like I started with my dad's stuff, you know, as far as the investment side, one of the pieces that we're not doing as agents and especially ones that are in lower price range areas where the rental properties are more cash flow type pieces is that, you know, I deliver, I wrote a course called buy box. Um, and the, the buy box is determining what makes a good rental, why it makes a good rental, would it be a better flip, so that when something smacks you in the face, you know what you're looking for, and you don't mm. pass it up. And so that's how we created a rental portfolio of you know almost 40 homes right now, is because we drew a buy box. It's geographical. I know the data from our property management company. And then we also know, like, hey, this is outside the box. What do we want to do with it? And so mm. as... As agents, as we get into times where um, things are slowing down a little bit, people may have a little bit different tick on how they want to do things. Um, and, and I, this is a little bit more aggressive for those of you that don't understand the the creative financing options. Those are those are a lot of fun too. If you know, are you about to go crawl the sheets on us right now? Should I get out my old green three ring binder? No, but, that. but think about this. So I'll give you one example because it's conversation. And I had to fight through another agent on this. But if you understand how to show people their, their cap rates or their rates of return on their cash on cash, you start getting options. And when you can extend their, their return on their money, they're not as fixated on the price that you're paying for the house. So I bought a house on Saturday. We closed on it. It's 1,900 square feet in El Mirage. Actually, it's 2,200 square feet in El Mirage. It's in pretty good shape. Um, I bought it from a gentleman that was tired of his tenant stuff. Tenants are leaving. Tenants are trashing. Like all these pieces that were pain points. But the other pain point is, hey, I just need my money to work inside my IRA. So for those of you that don't know, you can use a self-directed IRA to buy properties 
This guy is just trying to create retirement. At the end of the day, the house is worth about 200, 205, you put it on the market, take commissions, repairs, those things off it. I probably got a 10 to $15,000 discount. I bought it for 160 with a 6% seller carry for five years with nothing down. So you start looking at, I just bought $40,000 worth of equity. He's getting a 7% rate of return on his house. And now I own a property the bank and he's super happy. I like that. Like what I'm here, what I'm hearing though is, is you're not always just looking for one specific option. Steve. you're saying, Hey, I'm going to approach all these situations and just look at it from all angles and go, Hey, what, what is this person's goal? What are they really after? And then, then now I'm going to look at all the different ways I could do that. Whether that be you buy it from them, turn around and flip it. You might, you might wholesale it. You might just buy it and keep it as a rental like you did with this one and actually have them be the bank on, a, on an owner carry. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to know that you're going into not just with like trying to pigeonhole it into one thing and not even, you know, some people too are just trying to pigeonhole it into a wholesale. Like I know other guys in town, like they're just looking for the wholesale and they walk past listings all the time or they walk past great rental property opportunities all the time. So what I, what I like, what I'm hearing from you is that you're going, Hey, what's the best route for this particular home, this particular seller slash client? Uh, and can I be the person that helps him get there? Well, you know, if, if I were to take something, kind of package it up and you think about, you know, real estate as a whole, I love helping people. And I got the creative gene from my dad because my dad grew up with 18% uh, interest rates, bad economies. I mean, my dad had to figure out how to be freaking creative when it came down to it. And so I watched a lot of that. And so now when I go into a client's home, it's about how can I help them obtain the goal that they want, not that I want? And can I push through this and make it about them rather than me? It's not about my commission. It's about the person in front of me, and can I build that relationship? Some I'm going to get paid more for. Some I'm going to make more money on. And But ultimately, I've provided a solution for a client or a person that is going to benefit them in the long run, whether it's keeping them from being stressed, whether it's providing them a different way to make more income on their property, or it's talking them out of selling and keeping it as a rental property and starting their wealth building program. So... There's so many things as long as, and, and, and I hear, I think this is what happens in our industry. We're chasing the check and we end up having commission breath at the table. And it stinks when you're not really there to help the person in front of you. And I think when you're genuine on like, oh, you have all these things that we could do. What if I lined out all these options and then you could choose what it is? And you can line out all the pain points with it too. You know, when I talk about uh, it, Sorry, if I can interject real quick for anybody out there that's kind of fighting this saying, well, you know, why, what's, what's wrong with the current system? Like, I think we have to wake up if, if you're in that boat and recognize that the options are getting, they're not in the market like Phoenix where you don't have all the iBuyers going on today. But let me tell you, like, it's coming into your market sooner or later. Sellers are going to have more options, different ways to sell their property, trade their property, move on, et cetera. So we can try to stick to the way we've always done things or we can start adapting and be okay with options because we can, like you said earlier, Steve, we can get mad at the iBuyers, but at the end of the day, it's not about what we like or don't like. It is about what the consumer wants. 
And so if other people are coming to the table with more options for the consumer, the way that we stay relevant is continuing to offer additional options to the consumer as well. That's how we keep relevant. Yeah. And, you know, you would, you would also be amazed, again, it goes back to this, and I think sometimes we're afraid to ask the question, right? Um, and, and I had one the other day where we went through it, and I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, I really want to buy this house. After I did the numbers on, I'm like, there's no way with the cost of renovation. I went back to him. I said, look, I agreed to buy the house for three fifty. I can't make the numbers work. It needs $100,000 more than I expected because of X, Y, and Z. I can put it on the market for you today, and we can go through that process. And, you know, we'll see what happens if we get the three fifty and kind of go through it, just normal commissions. I said, but I'm willing to pay cash for it two fifty and close on it in a week if that works for the family because it was an inheritance type thing. The scary thing was is nobody wanted to wait for it to go on the market, so they sold it to us for two fifty, which is like fifty cents on the dollar at the end of the day after you know we gotta do all the repairs and all that things. But there was I didn't do anything wrong or steal anybody's equity or anything. It was just simply asking questions. And I think we hesitate to ask questions because we think we're gonna offend somebody rather than really trying to get down to the nitty gritty of how can we help them. Mm. I, I agree. I, I think um, as we wrap up, start to wrap up here, I think the number one thing that I'm taking away, and, and I hope that you know anybody who's watching this taking away is too, is like you're you're really coming in the, in here going, how how can I help them? Like, what is it that I can do for this potential seller, right? Um, and and you're going, what what tool in my arsenal, which one can I use to help them get what it is that they say that they want? Uh, and hopefully that, that lines up and, and, and if so great, you end up listing the property or you might end up buying the property yourself, or you might end up, uh, wholesaling it or, or, or convincing them to keep it. Like you said, and start their, their rental por portfolio, but you're starting from the place of what is it that they said that they want and can I help them get there? And I think that's the important piece. Yeah. And I think also anybody that's in those, I mean, when we look at the iBuyer model, even the wholesale model, there's a lot of outlying areas that many of you might be in that are secondary markets that the iBuyer and the wholesalers will never touch. And you should really be looking at what those different companies have to offer and start figuring out how to model inside your own communities in those outlying areas. Because when you look at Phoenix, big market, you look at Denver, you look at all these places. The you know We've all heard the homies, the purple bricks, the cheaper listing sources, they're not advertising to these smaller communities. Um, and so when you look at that, you should have the ability to take and control that market because you have an arsenal of tools to compete. And, you know, the agents, I mean, you put a bunch of agents out of business. You know, I know that I'm not very liked at that deal that I bought um, up in Mons Park by some of the, you know, the agents that are up there. But... You know, that's one of the areas we're going to focus on because nobody's going up there. Nobody's doing yeah. You You've mentioned Munz Park just a few times and, and, and over the last, like, probably couple months that we've spoken and had lunch. And so I, I love that. You're, look, you're, like, you're looking at the area. You're just looking at all places where, where most people are. Right. And I think that anybody that's in the market that's not in those bigger markets, look at what they're doing and start figuring out, how do I have this arsenal? What does it look like? How do I do it? Yep. Yeah.
Hey, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to share a couple of my takeaways. My, my battery's running really low. I was trying to, if you thought I was ignoring you, I was trying to see if I could get on my phone. Um, I, I couldn't make it back from my other appointments to the office for my charging time. But um, I just, in, in wrapping up, I know you wanted to kind of wrap up, and we'll let Steve say some final thoughts too, Kevin. But I wanted to kind of share some takeaways for anybody that maybe is just joining us now. I think my takeaways from this conversation have been, number one, it's okay to have options, and, I, and not even just okay, it's going to become necessary. So I need to start approaching my listing appointments from an option standpoint. And if you don't like the wholesale conversation or you don't like being the guy that buys the house, that's okay. But it's not okay to not talk about the other options that are available out there because you don't have to be the person that does all the options. You just have to be the guy that can connect people to the options, right? Um, number two, um, Steve mentioned, like, you know, you, you asked him, Kevin, where would I get started if I was new to this? And one of the things that I picked up from him is he said, like, know your buy box right? So no different than an iBuyer knows. I don't want properties built before this year. I don't want solar panels on my property. I don't want homes in, in this type of community or area, blah, blah, blah. Like you should probably, if you're trying to start buying investments, like know what your buy box is. And, and I guess maybe the, you know, the third point would be that if, if jumping right to know your buy box is too difficult for you, then I think the next place to go is partner with or align with guys like Steve that are in your local market. Go Ask those guys, like, hey, if I come across properties, would, would you be interested in knowing about them? And, and would you be interested in teaching me what you're doing while you're doing it? I don't necessarily need to be a part of the wholesale. Or I don't need to be a part of the flip. But will you teach me everything you're doing? Because if I were to ever want to replicate what you're doing or I were ever to want to, you know, diversify what I'm doing, I, I would want to learn from somebody like Steve, if that makes sense. So, I mean, those are kind of my things is, like, have options, know what your buy box is if you're ready to buy and if you're not ready to buy i, I like the idea of looking for partnerships um yeah. to me those, those seem to be like three really good actionable steps and uh so anyway that's just my feedback from listening to you steve from stuff i got cool so steve do me a favor like uh, i know that was a lot and we kind of bounced around do, like see if you can land this plane give us give us some of your closing thoughts here uh, we got another two or three minutes left and just kind of one of the last couple things that you want to leave with people who are looking at this as, hey, I want to be able to bring options to my clients and I want to learn to be an investor like Steve. Like, what, what are those closing thoughts for me that we can share now? Closing thoughts would be this. Make sure you look at the business that you're in and make sure that you're taking opportunities for yourself in this. You know, it's you have an obligation. You know, Grant Cardone talks about, you know, your obligation and your duty to be successful and make money. And if we're just chasing a commission check, we don't have retirement accounts. So coming across a great deal, it may come in the form of a Zillow lead or something. Right. Don't miss the opportunity to collect a $3,000 commission for something that could pay you a half a million dollars in 20 years. Right? Be prepared for opportunities. Okay? If you know your buy box, you'll be prepared for things that jump up. Hey, if you know your buy box and you know that you're not going to be the guy buying it, then like you, like you said, Fred, have somebody align yourself with people and partners to do that. Um, you know, and I guess the third thing would be our industry is shifting. Our commissions are shifting, all these things. I know people want to talk about, you know, well, I'm not going to take less than 6% and all this other stuff. Look, you're an idiot if you're going to go around with that mindset. You know, I believe that if somebody is motivated and they want to sell, then do it for less. It's okay. You're going to have a law of average. Or if you've got somebody that's motivated you know, we're just seeing a lot of that because the consumer wants the Amazon experience in real estate. And unfortunately, 
you know, there's a good portion of the industry that has, you know, that's done things part time, that's given us bad names over years. And we're not all like that. And I know that this group is full of great next level agents that are helping each other be better. And we want to make sure that we're doing that. And I think third, you know, fourth, I guess I already said third, fourth. I've aligned myself with people like Fred and Kevin who are in my backyard. We can partner on things. We can do deals. We can send deals to each other. We will share things. And I think that any chance you have to align yourself with good, solid agents around you, you are going to make yourself better. And if you constantly think that those people are going to be competition, you're never going to make it in this industry when it comes down to it. I grew up that way. My dad was a closed off person, didn't believe in sharing anything. And I'm one of those people like, look, I just want to make you better. I want to help you do the things and not do the things that I've experienced. I don't want anybody to experience what I did in 2006 because they weren't prepared for it. I don't want anybody to get 20 years into this business and not own one piece of real estate. You don't want to have the hey. hey, while I have 2% of battery left, oh, just went to 1%. Um, I want to say that Steve is a big giver. And Steve, I encourage you to tell people how they can follow you. Specifically, I think they should be following you on Facebook because you know, if they wanted to learn, like Kevin said earlier, where should people start? They should probably start by following guys like you who are authentic and open and sharing what you're doing. So you do a great job of documenting on Facebook for no cost. You're not like upselling stuff. You're just like, hey, here, I'm going into my flip. This is what I'm doing. We bought the house for this. This one didn't work out so well. We lost money on this one. This one's been a pain in the butt to rehab. My wife's running the rehab on it, blah, blah, blah. But you're, you're being authentic and sharing. So I want to encourage people to follow you, and, and I'm going to dive off here, guys, or at least stop my camera so I don't lose the rest of my battery. I'll let Steve share Thanks, how Steve. people can, uh, can connect with him. Um, it's Steve D. Valentine on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, the, uh, you know, on Tuesdays, I do a live P&L that actually goes over our numbers on every flip that we do or every investment property that we do, gives you some different ideas. And then um, just following the different things, we do a lot of tips and tricks with our contractors, with different things. And um, then I also have a private website, which is stevedvalentine.com. Um, that has some bunch of different interesting stuff there. And then we also have um, on Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, uh, the Purpose Driven Real Estate Podcast uh, that I do where we're just talking about different wealth building tips, different things that are going on in the industry. It's just me and my co-host page um, giving a different spin on real estate from a day-to-day -day basis. It's not an interview style with people and guests. It's really about what we do what I've given and um, how we're giving back to people just so that they can grasp some more knowledge from that. Right on, man. So Steve, dude, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out today to, to chat with us. And uh, it's just you and me. It looks like Fred's, uh, Fred's yeah. battery finally died all the way. Yeah. So now we can right. say all the bad stuff about him. We want to, right. uh, but no, man. Hey dude, I, I really appreciate you coming on and if you guys uh, aren't friends yet with Steve or you don't follow him on Instagram or Facebook, I highly suggest you do or check out his website or check out his podcast there on Stitcher. Uh, and uh, this guy's got a lot to give. I've been friends with him for a decade now, and I've certainly learned a lot and I'm better off for having known him. So hopefully uh, all, you all will get the, uh, the same advantage that I've had, too, for the last decade. So thanks a bunch, Steve. I appreciate it, dude. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate no it. Talk to you guys later. Talk to you later. Next Level Agents.